going to have our reading coming from Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that what will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of the Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. This is the Gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, we, um, we really need to pray this morning after that reading, so uh, let's pray now and then we'll um, have a think on it. Uh, gracious Lord, it's a lovely morning this morning and we thank you for uh, the privilege we have of uh, gathering together in this place as brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. We thank you for the long weekend. Uh, we know that a, a number of our church family are away and we pray for safety for them as they travel and spend time together, uh, but there may well be visitors with us this morning as well and we pray that they would feel very welcome. And now as we spend some minutes reflecting on your word that Chris has just read to us, uh, some very confronting and challenging words on the lips of the Lord Jesus, we ask that by your spirit you may help us understand them in our minds, but more than that, put them into practice in our lives, so that we may not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it. And so we ask for your help at this time, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I'd like to add my welcome to Jimmy's and say it's good to have you here and uh, especially if you are um, a visitor or you haven't been here often at St Stephen's but you're here for the long weekend, it's great to have you with us. Uh, you won't know if you're a visitor that we are back into Luke's Gospel after a number of weeks. We uh, spent a few times looking at some um, topical uh, subjects over a few weeks and then Jimmy did a couple of one-offs as, as well. So we finished in Luke's Gospel at the end of chapter 11 a few months ago and we're back into it again this morning. And I've got to be honest, I saw our passage today and I, the first thing I thought to myself is maybe we should extend the topical series. Uh, or maybe Jimmy should do Commitment Sunday Part 2 this week. Or I don't know how you felt as Chris read out those words that Jesus spoke. 
Or maybe you just kind of switched off and weren't really listening, but there's some very tricky parts to the the reading this morning. How about verse 5? This is Jesus, the one who loves us so much he laid down his life, speaking about the God who we describe as love, and yet he speaks like this. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. They're confronting words, uh, challenging words. Uh, If you came here this morning looking for a bit of a pick-me-up, that's probably not the tone you were hoping to hear, but they're the reading. Uh, Here's another troubling part to the verses, just in case you missed it. Uh, Verse 10, later on in the reading. Usually, as Christians, we're very upfront about the fact that God can forgive anyone, anything. Doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, how far you've been away from the Lord, how long, or what you trust in Jesus, you're forgiven. But in verse 10, Jesus speaks about a sin that he says won't be forgiven. It's the so called unforgivable sin, which is, he describes it as blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. And so, as soon as you read that, you, you straight away go, Well, have I done that? I need to make sure whether I've done that or not, because this is not good news. So, again, very confronting and challenging. But even just the flow of the verses is tricky, I think. Even working out how it fits together and what's Jesus' main point. If you look at verse 1, it's pretty, it's pretty clear what he starts talking about. He starts talking about the problem of hypocrisy. And I think most of us would jump in there and go, yes, I agree with you, Jesus, hypocrites. We don't like hypocrites. We, we like people to be genuine and authentic and that sort of thing. And then he talks about that God knows if you're a hypocrite because he knows everything. Everything will be revealed and God judges everything. But then suddenly in verse 6, we're talking about the economy of sparrows. Where does that come from? Some of you may have come here this morning wondering how much sparrows were worth back then, but a lot of you wouldn't have. What's going on with the sparrows? Then it goes back to, in verse 8, acknowledging Jesus, disowning Jesus, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. How does it fit together? So we've got to switch on this morning to work all this out and be clear about what Jesus is challenging us on because I think he is challenging us this morning. But that's always worth it. Silly if you come here and we just switch off and allow things to wash over us. Much better if it challenges us and makes us think and work out what Jesus is saying and why. Now because it's been a couple of months since we were last in Luke, I just want to remind you where we finished last time because this morning picks up from where we finished a couple of months ago. At the end of chapter 11, Jesus had been speaking pretty harshly to a group of people called the Pharisees. And he'd been accusing them of being hypocrites, of being people that looked great outwardly, that um, did the right things in front of everyone else, but weren't the same privately in their own hearts. And so he said, do you you remember, some of you will have been with us when we did this, there were six woes that he gave to them. Woe to you Pharisees, because you tithe everything properly, but then you do something different when you're alone. Woe to you Pharisees, because you, you like to get the important seats in public, but you heap burdens upon other people and make them uh, kind of uh, under pressure. And remember, the Pharisees were the religious, some of the religious leaders of the day. They knew the Bible very well. They lived very upright, holy lives, but somewhere along the line, they lost that heart connection to God. It was just rules to be kept, just boxes to be ticked. It became a bit of a sham and a show. But straight away, that's got implications for us as Christians. Because if we're Christians, especially kind of evangelical Christians, we love the Bible like Pharisees and we want to live a good life that pleases God, we're in danger of becoming Pharisees. 
And so Jesus had just hammered the Pharisees themselves in the passage just before ours. Now in ours, have a look at verse 1, he turns from the Pharisees to speak to his disciples but about the Pharisees. Look at verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And this is the verse. This is the verse that will unpack everything else and that he's going to build upon. But this is what it is. It's an exhortation he's giving to his disciples, and I presume that means to us today, his disciples and followers, to be on your guard, for us to be on our guard, intentionally, deliberately making sure that we don't fall into the behaviour and the attitude of the Pharisees. And that attitude is hypocrisy. He uses the phrase, the yeast of the Pharisees there, and I'm sure that's the picture of, it only takes a little bit of yeast to infect the whole dough. The whole loaf is impacted by just uh, this small thing. And so what he's saying is, the hypocrisy of the hypocrite, of the, um, of, of hypoc- sorry, the yeast, I'm all over the place, uh, Im- impacts all of them, even if there's only a little bit of it. That hypocrisy can start off small, it can be subtle, but it's got massive ramifications for people. And what is hypocrisy? I, I spoke about this a few weeks ago. The word hypocrisy there in the Greek was actually an acting word. It was about putting on a mask. It was about playing a role. In other words, it's about be- people being fake, people being not genuine, not authentic, And this can very easily creep into Christians' lives. You don't have to think very hard to think of prominent Christian leaders often who've spoken publicly one way and then had areas of their life revealed that's very different from the things that they said. And Jesus, therefore, is warning his disciples, he's warning you and I to be on our guard against hypocrisy. And then he preaches the next 11 verses. Now, just before we get into the specifics and see what he says in those 11 verses, do you see the the tone of Jesus' preaching here? Did you feel it? And I want to point this out because I I do have a worry about some modern preaching today. And I I fear that some, some of the modern preaching today and the preaching that we love to listen to and look for and think has just become all entertainment. It's become all a stand-up routine or all a self-help seminar. You know, how to be fulfilled and stronger, faster, richer in three easy steps. Or all personal stories. And I'm not against any of those in and of themselves in their place. But if that becomes the focus, then that's a worry. That's not how Jesus preached. Jesus said, as we've just seen, the hard truths. He said the hard things. He told people what they needed to hear, not just what they necessarily wanted to hear. He told them the good and the bad, the positive and the confronting. Not always what itching ears wanted to hear, but always what lost hearts needed to receive. And we'll do well to remember that. Well, let's get into uh, what he said in the passage. I've got three points, I think, on hypocrisy that he says here. The last one is very short, um, but they're all about this hypocrisy because he's asking us again to guard ourselves from this terrible thing. And the first uh, lesson on hypocrisy is this. Don't to pretend to be what you're not. Don't pretend to be what you're not. And it comes from verses 2 to 5. Have a look at them. There's nothing concealed 
that will not be disclosed, Jesus says, or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you've whispered in the air in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, when you're thinking about hypocrisy in Christianity, it's not too hard to work out what's being said here by Jesus, is it? There's a danger that we all have as Christians of putting on a show, of putting our best face forward as if we're really better than we are, and even more importantly than that, better than others around us. That's what the Pharisees did. Outward appearance seen to be doing the right thing, wanting to be seen by others to be doing the right right thing, but it was all just an outward show and it wasn't a reflection of what was in their hearts and what went on in the privacy of their own homes. And Jesus is saying here, don't even bother with that kind of hypocrisy because God knows everything. The things that are outward and the things that are inward, the things done out in public, the things done in private. He knows everything and he judges everything. He knows every thought of yours and mine and every deed of yours and mine. He knows every web page that you and I have been on. He knows every good deed we haven't done. He knows the things we think no one else knows and he knows the things that only some people know. God knows it all, Jesus is saying here, and he's the one that is judge over it all. My mum used to tell me that you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all of the time. Well, there's one person you can't fool any of the time. That's what Jesus is saying. My mum missed that bit out. Otherwise, I'd have been more worried. Uh, that was, there's a good lesson to parents. Write that down. There's one person you can't fool at any of the time. And so hypocrisy, Jesus is saying, is pointless because you're not fooling the one person that counts most. Most of us tend to hypocrisy because we want to be well thought of by other people. We want their approval. We want their endorsement. We want their good thoughts. And, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, it's very interesting, our behaviour often changes when we're with people that we either don't know or we don't care what they think of us. We sometimes change into another person. See some of the things that are written on the internet. Why? Because it's anonymous and no one will know I said it and suddenly we speak with different language, hugely unkind and hurtful, hateful things. But it's because it's anonymous and no one can judge us on it. Or we turn into a different person when we're with people that we think are really just beneath us and we don't care what they think. But when we're with people that we want their endorsement and their approval, we change. Think about that. Because what we're doing is we're living for the approval of our audience. But in the end, there's only one that counts. And he's the one that sees everything and judges everything. He's the one that you can't pull the wool over his eyes. There's no trickery. There's no, well, perhaps he didn't notice. He knows everything. He judges everything. In the end, ultimately, we live to an audience of one and he's the God that sees all, knows all and judges all. Friends, there's few things worse in Christianity than hypocrites. And the truth is, and I want to be upfront about this, we are all hypocrites to some extent because none of us are what we would like to be in this fallen world and none of us are what we know the Lord wants us to be in this fallen world and that won't change. We hope it gets better as we kind of, the spirit works in us and we keep living, but we're all hypocrites to a certain extent. But there's a blatant hypocrisy that is so awful and so contrary to how we should live as people that know the grace of God because in the end what it is is dishonest. We're pretending to be someone that we're not. 
But it's more than that. It's also, it's unloving. Because it makes other Christians feel like, well, I can't live up to them. But that's because we're not being open about who we are. We're not honest and open with each other. And of course, it's a terrible witness to the outside world. How many people won't follow Jesus because they say, well, I used to think that Christian leader was so-and-so, and then we found out what they were like. So firstly, in terms of hypocrisy, don't pretend to be what you're not. Let's be open about our failings. Let's be honest about who we are. Secondly, this is a different form of hypocrisy. Some of you will uh, kind of align with the first one. Some of you perhaps with the second one. The second form of hypocrisy is don't be ashamed of what you are. Don't be ashamed of what you are, verse 2. Uh, sorry, sorry. we're going to come back to verses 6 and 7 in a moment. That's the sparrows bit because that's odd and we've got to work out how that fits in. But we're, we're going to move further. Suddenly we're being challenged on the hypocrisy that hides we're a Christian from others. Still hypocrisy, still putting on a mask or playing a role, but this time it's not pretending to be something we're not. It's being ashamed of what we are as followers of Jesus. Have a look at verse 8. I tell you, said Jesus, whoever acknowledges me before men the Son of Man will acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you're brought before the synagogues, rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you'll say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Do you see, this is not about pretending to be something you're not. It's about being ashamed of who you are and who you follow, the Lord Jesus. And some of you here this morning will know exactly what I'm talking about. Our hypocrisy, our mask wearing is one where our our friends at school or our classmates at university or our team members on the rugby uh, park or our, our co-workers in the factory or the office, or even sometimes our family members or loved ones don't know we're Christians. Or they know it, but they wouldn't really see it in the way that we conduct ourselves. Maybe it's because when we first got to know them, we weren't Christians, uh, but then we didn't kind of let on when we first did, and then it's got more and more awkward over time, and well, how do I tell them now? And it's gone too long, and... Or perhaps there's a knowledge that we're Christians or go to church, but when we're with those people, our language, attitude, actions are exactly the same as everyone else. And so although we may not say the literal words of verse 9, I disown Jesus, we're clearly doing that in the way that we speak and behave and act. And uh, I have a particular sympathy for people in this, because this was me, for for two, I worked in the milk, most of you know I worked in the milk factory for Meadowfresh Foods for five years, uh, but for the first two I'd started going to church and I had said that I was a Christian, but you would never have known it from the way I conducted myself. And I look back at that with uh, shame, but the, the longer it went on, the harder it was to change that, to actually kind of make a stand and say, yeah, living for Jesus does make a difference in the way that I live. Not trying to preach people or bash people over the head, but to show that that did impact the way that I lived and conducted myself. We think of peer pressure as a a school child's problem, but most of us are so influenced by the opinion of others around us, especially certain people. For some of us, it's parents. For some of us, it's friends. For some of us, it's certain co-workers or people that we look up to. But Jesus in these verses gives a couple of bits of encouragement for those of us who struggle in this area. 
If that's you, if you, you kind of are slightly ashamed of who you are in certain relationships, here's some encouragement. Verse 8, Jesus says, if you make a public stand for me, I will make a public stand for you. He says, I will acknowledge you before the angels. And I think the imagery there is the angels being uh, the witnesses or the audience in the heavenly court on the last day. So Jesus is saying, you stand up for me and I will stand up for you in the heavenly court. Think about what that means. That's what you want in the heavenly court. Jesus standing up on your behalf. He's the lawyer that never loses. He's the best witness that can never be thrown. He's the heavenly Harvey Specter or the divine Daniel Caffey or whatever. He's the lawyer that doesn't lose. So he says, you stand up for me, I'll stand up for you. But there's more than that. He also says, that's on the last day in the heavenly court, but he also says in the right here and now, you'll also have the spirit. You'll have the spirit with you to help you speak and make a stand and say the right things. He says there in those last couple of verses of the passage that the Spirit would help the disciples as they were brought before the authorities, but I take it the same principle as it worked for us today. The Spirit helps us as we talk and share and make a stand for him. So he's saying, don't be ashamed of who you are. It would be a good thing this morning, if you know that you're in this kind of camp, to think about whether there are certain relationships, sporting relationships, working relationships, loving relationships, where you may need to make a bit of a change here. Start talking in a certain way or stop talking in a certain way. Start behaving in a certain way or stop behaving in a certain way to show that Jesus is number one. So you've got with hypocrisy, we've got uh, don't pretend to be what you're not, don't be ashamed of what you are, and then there's a third point which I'm going to go to in a moment, but I just I need to stop for a moment, side issue, Just think about what blaspheming the Holy Spirit means for a second in verse 10. As I said, this can be a huge shock for some people, the idea that not everything can be forgiven. But it is clear in the Bible there's one sin that we call the unforgivable sin that can't be. And Jesus says it's this blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. And this, of course, as I said before, worries people because, well, what if I committed it? What if I did it two weeks ago and I didn't realise it? And here I was thinking I was okay, but I'm not okay. And have I done it? Could I be in trouble? So what is it? Well, firstly, it's not saying Holy Spirit in a disparaging way. At least I hope it's not. Otherwise, I've just committed it (laughs) and I'm in trouble. We sometimes think of blasphemy as that. That blaspheming is only taking the Lord's name in vain, using God or Jesus or Christ or, or different combinations of those, speaking it in a, a horrible, uh, non-respecting way. And the good news on that is no one ever uses Holy Spirit like that. So you're not like, you can go, phew, well, I didn't blaspheme the Holy Spirit, I only said dot, dot, dot. But blasphemy is bigger than that. That's a subset of blasphemy. Blasphemy is insulting or showing contempt to God. That's what it is. And you can do that by using the Lord's name in that way. How dare we use the name of the Lord Jesus or God in a way that speaks of him as an afterthought or a swear word when he's the one who's created us and given us life and given us Jesus. That that is insulting and that is uh, rude. But it's more than that. You you can be insulting or uh, show contempt to God in a whole range of ways. So it's not just the saying of words. Another issue that I want to make very clear, and I hope I get this across, if I don't, come and see me afterwards with blaspheming the Holy Spirit, is we can sometimes think that it's a one-off event done in space and time that may be too late to come back from. 
What I mean by that is, when you think of other sins, they're nearly always one-offs done in time and space. So if I murdered someone, I did that on a particular day at a particular time, and I can't change anything, it's happened. And you can think, well, what if I did that as a one-off? And so you can, people start to get worried about maybe I blasphemed the Holy Spirit at one time and one place, and although I've changed now, I can't get back to it. And I don't think that's what, what's being spoken of. What's being spoken of here is more a general attitude of the heart. And I think the context of these verses helps us see this. Look at verse 9, which is just before the one of blaspheming. Jesus says, He who disowns me before people will be disowned before the angels of God. Now, is that a one-off action that he's talking about? If it is a one-off action, who does our heart and mind immediately go to? Peter, because he disowned Jesus. Poor Peter didn't even just do it once, did he? He kept going. Still not enough. I'll do it again. Still going. Peter did it. Does that mean Peter's going to be disowned in front of the angels on the last day? I don't think so. Because it's not so much speaking about a one-off thing here, but an ongoing attitude of the heart. So what is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? What is that attitude of the heart? Now I'm going to simplify things here, so please don't... um, think that I don't realise there's more to it than this. But in order to us to understand it, I want to simplify it so that we can understand it. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? Basically, the Holy Spirit, and there's more to it than this, I know, I know there's more to it, but if you want to simplify it, the work of the Holy Spirit, there's a twofold work of the Holy Spirit, and it's all to do with the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants the Lord Jesus raised up and exalted and praised and all those kind of things. So the Holy Spirit has two kind of areas that he works in. One is in the life of an unbeliever and it is to convict that person of their sin and their need of a saviour. It's to bring them to Jesus so that they will trust in him. It's to change a person's life so that they realise they can't do it by themselves, they need Jesus. So it's to bring them to Jesus. Then the work of the Holy Spirit, the second one, in the life of a believer is to make them like Jesus. It's to give the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, to sanctify them, to bring them to Christ. So that's the two works of the Holy Spirit. So if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you are turning your back on the work of the Spirit. And what's the first work of the Spirit? To bring you to Christ. What blaspheming the Holy Spirit is saying when the Spirit works within you to convict you that you need forgiveness, you're not as good as you think you are, you need a saviour, you need Jesus, it's to go, I reject you, Holy Spirit. I will treat you with contempt. And so do you see why it's the unforgivable sin? It's because you've turned your back on the only way that forgiveness comes. Which means that if you're, if you're sitting here worried, I love the Lord, but have I committed the unforgivable sin? You can't have, because you're loving the Lord and trusting the Lord, and you can't commit it if you're worried about it in that sense. But that's what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is. It's why it's not just one point in time and history necessarily. Because there may, you may be at a church service one day and hear what Jesus has done and think, you know what, no. Nah. But two years later, you may hear it again and you may go, I'm so convinced. I'm so thankful for what the Lord's done. So it didn't happen two years. We think very now, physical, time, temporal, all that, but, but it's different. But I would warn you, if we finish our life still in that attitude, that's terrible. And we never know when our life's gonna, so don't muck around with it. 
if you hear God speaking to you, don't put it off and put it at arm's length. Make the decision now because you never know how long you keep hardening your heart and those sorts of things. But if you're trusting in Jesus, you haven't committed the unforgivable sin. If you've got any worries, I know we've had to do that quickly, but it's too important not to mention. Come and see me afterwards and we can chat about it. Let me just wrap up by getting back to the main point. Jesus is saying, I don't want you, my people, to be like the Pharisees, which is hypocrites. And he's made two points. I don't want you to be people pretending to be something that you're not and I don't want you to be people that are ashamed of what you are. To finish off, I want to see the third bit, the the two verses that don't seem to fit with the rest. But actually I think they hold it all together. They're the main point. And we've seen this before, haven't we? In English literature, often we put the main point first and then develop it, or we build up to the main point and we put it at the end. In Hebrew literature, often they put it in the middle. So you've got a point here and a point here, and the main one's in the middle. That's the crux. That's the kind of heart of it. I think it is here. So our last point with hypocrisy is, you are known and valued by God. Think about that for a moment. You are known and valued by God. Look at verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. The sparrow back then was the cheapest thing sold in the market and the penny was the lowest form of currency. So uh, have a think about what that means. The cheapest thing in the supermarket and sometimes the poor had to eat it because that's all it was. I was trying to think of a modern equivalent. I couldn't come up with anything better than sizzlers. Cheapest thing, and sometimes the poor have got to eat it. Uh, Jesus says, God even knows every sizzler. No, that doesn't work. It breaks down. God even knows every one of the sparrows. None of them are forgotten. But his point in saying that is, how much more valuable are you? And he says, the Lord knows every hair, the number of hairs on your head. What's incredible about that? Well, it's incredible that anyone could know the number of hairs on your, on your head. But who cares how many hairs is on our head? But that's the point. That's the level that he knows you and I. Now, admittedly, that's a more impressive miracle for some of us than others of us, knowing the number of hairs on our head. But for all of us, who cares? But that's the level that he knows us. That's the level that you and I are precious to him and valuable to him. Do you see what Jesus is saying in this whole passage? He says, don't be a hypocrite. Don't pretend to be something you're not because God sees through all that and God judges everything in the end. And he says, don't be a hypocrite and be ashamed of who you are as a Christian because if you stand up for Jesus, Jesus will stand up for you and the Holy Spirit will be with you. So don't do that. But most importantly, don't be a hypocrite because God knows you personally and he values you, you're precious to him. You, as you are, warts and all, you, without having to pretend or put on the mask or play the part, if you're known and valued by God, you don't need any other validation or endorsement. You don't need to fear what anyone else thinks. You're his. You've got Jesus on your side. The Father knows everything about you, values you, and he's got, you've got his spirit with you. Friends, Christians should be the most genuine and the most authentic of all people. People should see our failings because we're people that know we sin and we know we've got a saviour. And so I'm not saying you've got to share everything with everyone. Please don't share everything. We're in a world at the moment which has gone mad with sharing. 
Keep some things to yourself. But we, we should be open about the fact that we make mistakes. And we should be the first to put up our hand and go, yeah, I have made a mistake. And I can say that easily because I know I'm forgiven by a wonderful saviour. And because I know that wonderful saviour, I don't want to do that again. Not because I'm in fear of it, because I want to do what's best for him because he saved me. We should be the most genuine and most authentic of all people. People should see in us our failings, but they should alongside that also see a growing desire to live for him and his way, not with our mask and our role. They should know what we believe, not because we're ramming it down people's throats insensitively, but because Jesus is so important to us, it can't help but come out as we, we live our daily lives, in our words and in our actions. And we've got the freedom to do that, the confidence to do that, because we've got, we've got a God who knows us and values us. The one who sent his son to speak up on our behalf. The one who sent his spirit so that we're not alone. And that should help us be on our guard for hypocrisy. Are you a person who pretends and puts on a show? Don't. It will lead to self-righteousness or it will lead to double-mindedness. It will lead to looking down on others. It's just a, an awful kind of thing. Or is your hypocrisy more the one where you're ashamed of who you are and you don't stand up for the Lord Jesus in your life, your daily life? Do. He's worth it and he's going to stand up for you. But even more than that, remember he's the one that knows you and you're precious to him. So you don't need a mask. Be the way God's created you, following the God who created you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to be challenged by these words of the Lord Jesus. And I pray that as we think about ourselves and uh, who we are and how we live, that you would help us see uh, perhaps areas of life where we need to put them into practice. But most of all, we thank you for your love and value, uh, the value that you put on us, which gives us the freedom to not have to play a role, just seek to be your children. And uh, we pray this. In the name of the mighty one that stands on our behalf, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.